You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Sir Norman Rosenthal. Norman, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, I'm very honored and delighted that you should want to talk to me. After all, I'm retired. I'm, in some sense, a yesterday's man, even though I do try to keep up in all sorts of ways. You know, I was responsible for... uh, you know, I was responsible for all the exhibitions of the Royal Academy over a period of 30 years. The most important one of which was right towards the beginning of my career, I did an exhibition called A New Spirit in Painting, which introduced uh, a lot of German artists into the art world that nobody had ever heard of before, like George Baselitz and Anselm Kiefer and Gerhard Richter and Zygmunt Polka and uh, Mark Joseph Boys and many others, Boys, but also yeah. artists like... Schnabel. A year later, I did a kind of Baroque version of that exhibition with a colleague of mine in Berlin called Zeitgeist. And, you know, if I'm allowed just five minutes of fame, I would uh, rest my fame on those two projects back in 1981 and 1982. Uh, next year is the 40th anniversary of Zeitgeist, which may be... Because, because all of those artists that you mentioned, friend uh, that ba- 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 hmm? Kiefer, Boys, uh, all the artists that you mentioned, Kiefer oh, yeah. and Boys was the big Boys, feature they, 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 They've all become giants. But I'd first right? shown Joseph Boyce at an exhibition at the ICA, which I'd worked at previously back in 1974, which was called Art into Society, Society into Art, Seven German Artists, which also included, amongst others, the great... Uh, German artist who lives in New York, Hans Harker, and a very extraordinary artist who lives in England, who was part of the uh, Kindertransport called Gustav Metzger. And uh, that's also, if you like, uh, the catalogue is also a kind of incunabula of its time. And it led to an extraordinary thing because I, Joseph Boyce, I remember asking me for three blackboards, and I didn't know where to find blackboards, you know, old-fashioned school blackboards. But in the end, I mean, looking around, I managed to find a whole depot of them. And I took a hundred of these blackboards to the ICA. And Joseph Boyce made out of this this famous uh, installation, which is now in the National Gallery of Art in Berlin, which is called Richtkräfte, Directive Forces, which was shown in, uh, obviously, in London, where it was, as it were, made. And then it went to New York, to René Bloch's gallery, and then it went to the Venice Biennale at that, roughly at that time, just after that time. And then it went in a slightly transformed way to the museum in Berlin, which is where it sits, where it sits even to this time. And uh, you can see it there and now in the Hamburger Bahnhof or maybe very soon in the newly op- reopened Mies van der Rohe building. Hmm? Yeah, so I'm kind that's, of that's proud a, of that, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you should be. That's such a kind of iconic um, works by yeah. by boys as well. And, but, and you know, so you, we could talk you know, about that. So many he stories. asked for three blackboards, and I gave him a hundred. So that's how it all came about. Mm-hmm. So you just have and, to, and, you know, you just. I mean, I think being a, I hate the word curator. Actually, I don't. You know, I think somebody. You know, I'm. You know, I never studied art, and I never studied art history. I read history as a student, and I sort of fell into the art world almost by accident, even though I've been going to museums since I was a small child, you know, even by myself uh, uh, at a very early age. So I was always, and I, you know, like my parents had no money, as it were. They were, as it were, poor refugees from Central Europe uh, who came to England, you know, and uh, but somehow I've managed uh, 
both my, my, myself and my sister managed to kind of get to the top of our professions in a rather extraordinary way. And uh, uh, just because we, I like art, you know, I like art, I like music, I like literature. And somehow well, you write, mother, and you and you and you write. I mean, yes, you, as you're saying, coming from that background, it's all about love. In the end, to, you have to, to, to love it. There's no point in being involved with art if you don't love it. I remember coming not to Yale but to Harvard once to visit, meet a professor, and there was a very interesting lecture going on. Uh, I was actually waiting to see another lecturer, but then I saw that a friend, another friend of mine, was giving a lecture down there on German, on on as it were, he was giving a lecture on German. Uh, medieval art and I was watching I sat at the back of the lecture and you know I was watching all these students basically some of them particularly the, the these large American boys uh, at the back of the back of the hall either watching sports or watching pornography I couldn't quite work it out Do you know what I mean they weren't in the slightest <laughs> bit interested in what they were listening to hmm? or should have been listening to which was in fact incredibly interesting hmm? a lecture by somebody called Joseph Kerner I don't know whether you know the name, hmm? who's an expert on, uh, you know, a great authority on uh, on uh, late medieval art and early Renaissance art, northern Renaissance art. Hmm? And and um, and so there's so many stories we could talk about from 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 your really extraordinary career. You're you're retired now, but you're still incredibly busy. What's in your? Yeah, I mean, uh, last exhibition, I you know, I've done a number of, and I've always been interested in young people, and I don't kind of look at, I don't look for young artists. So some, I somehow find them. You know what I mean, or you know, there's a very very famous German poem by. Uh, which says, you know, I go into the forest and I, I'm not looking for anything, but I see a beautiful flower and that's, that's enough. Do you understand? So I don't look, you know, the world, you know, I don't look for things, but somehow I come across things. And if I see things which I like, including young artists, I'm uh, incredibly happy. And uh, I try and do my best to help them. And so the very last exhibition I did, actually, uh, a young man tried, uh, asked me to cu- uh, help him curate an exhibition in Venice uh, just before the lockdown, uh, which, which in the end, uh, which I wanted to call, uh, which was called Breathless. Uh, and in fact, this young person, I won't m- mention his name, but I mean, he didn't really, I was just basically mentoring him, but then in the end I discovered the exhibition wasn't going well and I had number of the artists, I had a number of friends in the exhibition, and I had to expand the exhibition. And I even discovered two weeks before the exhibition, two extraordinary artists, a kind of artist duo called, you know, Rosie Hastings uh, uh, and Hannah Quinlan. And, you know, I managed to put them in two weeks before the opening and include them in the catalogue. Do you understand? So, you know, you just find things and you come across them in extraordinary ways. So, 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 so let's talk a little bit about those, the, 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 that way you're finding and coming across. And I mean, the, you're, uh-huh. you, you, I you make it sound a little magical, but you go out to exhibitions. Well, you, it is you magical. See different art artists. is a magical thing. You have to regard art as a kind of magic. And I suppose the light motive artists in my career, both of whom I discovered at the very... You know, at a particular moment in my, a, a, a very crucial moment in my time, uh, back in 1973, when I somehow got this job. You know, when Britain entered the European Community, they were given some. The ICA was given some money to host a number, uh, to host exhibitions about art in Europe, and they did a big French month that was uh, 
in fact, uh, curated largely by uh, a friend, a man who's still a great friend of mine called Jonathan Benthor, who's a famous anthropologist uh, and also a kind of self-invented man in an extraordinary kind of way. Uh, uh, and then they wanted somebody who could speak. To, they couldn't find anybody who spoke German. They wanted to do a German month. So somehow I was found to do this almost by accident. And again, in very funny ways. You know, I just happened to be sitting next to uh, one of the trustees of the ICA at a, something called the Alternative Miss World, which was one uh, kind of party in London that was given by which was won by a very wonderful artist called Derek Jarman. Do you know whom I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah, you know, he's a famous gay artist. Do you know what I mean? And I always happened yeah. to be sitting next to this lady who, and, you know, she discovered I could speak German. And the next week I had the job. And uh, as a result, I was given £100 to go to Germany. I went all the way around Germany. I went first to Hamburg, then I went to Berlin, then I went to Munich. And then I went to, uh, as it were, up the Rhine, to Dusseldorf and Cologne, and on, on the way I just, as it were, fell into two kind of parts of German art that I found fascinating. One was the world, Joseph Boyce and his world, and the other was the world of George Baselitz and his world, and, you know, both artists uh, have been leitmotifs in my life. You know, I happened, thanks to my parents, to speak German more or less fluently as well. Hmm? And you, you've had such... Yeah, you've you've had such a, an extraordinary career to 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 look at what you're doing now, and and also um, at the art world it, itself. We talked a little bit about magic before, and you said, yeah, it, it is magical. Uh, looking back on the art world, or, or or looking at what you know of the of the of the art world, from from Joseph Joseph Boys and Baselitz to to the artists you're seeing now, um, what do you see? I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm I mean, asking for well, a I mean, reflection with an answer. Can I just say that art doesn't go away? You know, I mean, art has been around since the beginning of humankind. You know, I, I remember when we did an exhibition at the Royal Academy called Africa, the Art of a Continent. You know, the oldest object in the exhibition was uh, uh, a kind of created object, you know, whether it's a work of art or not. I mean, you know, the word art is a very, like the word artist, but I mean, the creative impulse in human beings, in certain human beings, is very essential. And, you know, from the Aldevai Gorge, you're right, you know, going back a million years, you know, the oldest object in that exhibition was a million years old. And, you know, I think artist, art does not go away. There will always be young artists, you know. One spoke at a certain point of time, you know, a group of artists I was very associated with was the world of, you know, Damien Hirst or so, YBAs, you know. I did that show called Sensation. They're no longer YBAs, uh, middle-aged, almost aging British artists now. Do you understand, you know, after 25 years? But that doesn't mean to say there aren't young amazing young artists in London and everywhere. But one of the problems in the art world is the way it has expanded. You know, when I was a young person, it was possible to know everything about what you might call art. You know, art seemed to take, it was largely a male thing, first of all. It seemed to take place, you know, by the time I was sort of roughly maturing, was a kind of New York-centered thing with certain moderately serious outposts in London, in Los Angeles, in uh, Turin, in uh, Dusseldorf, Cologne, and that was about it. Do you understand? Yes. And, you know, when I did A New Spirit in Painting, there wasn't a single woman artist in the show. 
And when I did Zeitgeist, you know, with almost, you know, reluctantly, we put in as a single woman, as far as I recall, uh, Susan Rothenberg, you know, who's a wonderful painter, maybe not the greatest painter who ever lived or lived. She recently died, of course, but she's a very serious painter. And I'm very proud that I'm in, you know, one... But now, you know, the whole world is so... First of all, there's art everywhere. Everybody, every nation participates in, in the world of art. Do you understand? I mean, right. I remember a few years ago seeing an exhibition of perfectly respectable con- contemporary art from, of all places, Saudi Arabia. You know, with obviously some rich Saudi... You know, it was at SOAS in London, which is a school of... Uh, uh, Oriental and African studies, I think it is, in, in London, you know, at London University, and they had this there with an incredibly expensive catalogue. And, you know, in Saudi Arabia, there's a little subculture of, you know, ser- people who make art. And if you go to the art fairs, it's very different. One of the problems of today is knowing, you know, there's so much art going on, as it were, that it's very difficult to kind of sort it all out, you know, and to establish hierarchies, even though one is fairly, con- I'm fairly convinced that only certain things will really stand this test of So let's, let's talk about that, because that's very interesting. I mean, as I interview artists also from all over the world, what I'm surprised that is, you know, it's a global conversation. All these biennial... Can I just say it was not a global conversation. It was a Conversation limited to very few centers. You know what I mean? Largely, almost exclusively male, probably white. You know what I mean? And that was it. And it was not that long ago. You know, and the whole world has changed in so many different ways. And now it's all about, you know, for better or worse, it's about identity and etc., uh, etc. Et but, you know, the question is, where is the, you know, what is it? You know, it's a difficult question. And so you can only answer it through your own personal experiences, you know. So when I discover, that's when I say, I don't look for it. I just have to kind of come across it hmm? in different ways hmm? through my own, you know, my own limited environment. I'm not really looking for art in Australia or in South America. But if something comes, comes my way and it's interesting, you know what I mean? You know, I have this wonderful young black American artist who was born in uh, Venezuela, who spent most of his youth in Brooklyn, but now lives and works in London. I met him two weeks after he arrived in London. He's the most incredible painter called Alvaro Barrington, you know, extraordinary artist, you know, and I could predict great things for him, you know, and, uh, but, and he's a great friend. Hmm? And, and, and he, how did you he now be, teaches at the Slade that? School in London, and he does come, goes, goes back to America, and, you know, he's now got a very serious career. But his paintings are just, I saw, you know, even, I'm living in the countryside at the moment, you know, because of the lockdown, but I went to London about six months ago. He had the most fantastic exhibition at a, small, at a smallish, but actually quite rich gallery, as it turns out, you know, in, uh, near Liverpool Street Station in London. It was just fantastic. Hmm? And he's a great painter. Huh? That's exciting. So, you, so there is this huge shift. You've seen it more than anybody from, as you're saying, an art world. And, and, you know, I hear this in New York, too, where you could literally know all of the exhibitions going on, all of the artists. 
to a to a world that's so much larger, it's 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 impossible to take it all in. Yeah, you Does that affect art or the way we out, see culture? When I go to an art fair, I come out of it. I'm not quite sure what I've seen. You understand? Or if I go to one of these mega biennales, you know, it's right. very very occasionally that I will kind of discover something. I remember at a biennale about maybe 25 years ago, in, not a biennale, at a castle. Uh, at a castle uh, documenter, I suddenly came across William Kentridge, I'd never heard of before. And it was clear it was something special. Do you understand? Hmm? Of course. But it's of course, quite rare. but you're saying that's, that's rare. That's a now, rare, William. you know, in, what, in that kind of circumstance, it's rare. So you rare, artists tell you about other artists, hmm? and then you come across things, as I say. You know, I came across Alvaro, Two weeks after he arrived in London as a student, he was studying at the Slade, and my wife and I we were standing in a gallery in London, and, you know, he's an incredibly, you know, personable person. He loves talking to the person who's next to him. And, you know, my wife, who works at the Prado Museum, uh, so we had this, we had this, we had this, we're now living, you know, but, you know, she lives in Madrid, I live in London, and we, you know, see each other all the time, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he, he said, I'm going to Madrid next week with six of my students. And he was so nice. The Manuelo, who hates my wife, taking him around, taking, uh, take, giving tours in the Prado, gave him and his six colleagues, students and one teacher called Fiona Ray, they gave, she gave him a whole day's uh, tour of the Prado, which he'll never forget. And then I was in New York two, two years later. He'd finished. He was in New York. And I went to, it was my birthday, actually. It was my last day in New York. And uh, I was having lunch with the dealer friend of mine, you know, on my birthday, I had a breakfast, I was having a big dinner at night, and I had lunch. And this dealer said, do you mind if a young artist comes and joins us for lunch? I said, of course not. In walks Alvaro. And he told, at that point, he was having an exhibition, a small exhibition in a room at PS1. And, you know, I dropped everything. Even though I was leaving to go to the airport that night, I dropped everything and I took a taxi rather stupidly because it would, would have been much easier to go by train uh, uh, on, on the subway because of the terrible traffic jams, I recall. And I went to see the exhibition. I was completely bowled over by it. And then I later took it to uh, today's Ropatch in London, the same exhibition. And, you know, now he's, you know, a Ropatch artist, but in fact he works with about six different dealers, because that's his way. But he's an astonishing artist. Hmm? I'm just telling you about one artist, you know, who's in my life. And, you know, he just happens to be black, and he happens, but, you know, that's not why I like him. Do you understand? I think he's just an extraordinarily creative and life-enhancing individual in what he is and what he does. Hmm? Yeah, it's fascinating to, to, so to hear I don't about think, that. You know, what I call the spirit of voice is not dead. And, in fact, that exhibition I put on at today's Ropatch's Gallery in London next to a voice exhibition because he had this separate room and I didn't like the idea of what he was, what he was doing and proposing for this separate room. So I said to Tadeus, who's the gallerist, you know, and I have, by the way, I have nothing against the art trade. The art trade, you know, even, you know, I've even spoken to Gagosian. Gagosian loves art. You understand, you know. I, I've spoken to him. I know well. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he loves art more than many curators that I know. You know, whatever mm. one may say about him, do you want him in? And running a gallery is very important function in you know the, the world. You know, they are, they're, they're the great mediators, hmm? almost more Absolutely. than curators often. 
I have nothing against uh, the art trade in itself, you know. I mean, I, you know, there are lots of aspects of the art trade that one doesn't like, but there's nothing fundamentally wrong with, you know, that and even, you know, the making of money. You know? I, mean, you know, mm. I think Jeff Koons is a great artist. I think Damien Hirst is an extraordinary artist, etc., etc. And, you know, I remember, mm. I remember Damien when he was... Uh, working uh, in the back room of Anthony Doffey's gallery in London as a wrapping up parcels. Hmm? So uh, you, you, uh, you have a very generous view of the art world. I mean, and I, I, I agree yeah. with you. You know, I, I think there is nothing wrong with making money, but these are some of the, the arguments that we hear throughout the world that you've just articulated that you said were, yeah. were, were, were okay with you and that it's, that it's still about the making of the art and the, and, and, and the yeah, talent that's seen, out there. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen Jeff Koons you know, bankrupted. I've seen him bankrupted and, you know, basically almost in tears about how he's going to carry on with his work. So, you know, it's not all easy, you know. So being an artist, you know, I'm not an artist, you know. Being an artist is not easy. And, uh, or being a great artist or a significant artist. And, you know, Hmm. these are artists, whatever you say about them now, who will never be written out. Nobody will write Jeff Koons out of history, nobody can write Damien Hurst out of history. But I tell you, nobody's going to write my friend Alvaro Barrington out of history, in my opinion. But, you know, young art is always slightly more, by, by definition, a little bit more speculative. Hmm? Right, absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's, it's wonderful talking to you about this. I, I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? I'm always curious what everyone else is, is, is reading or involved in that way. What am I reading at the moment? Well, I'm reading, I mean, I'm, I'm actually very concerned about the world of Afghanistan and what that's going to do to the world, and, you know, so I sort of spend a lot of time. And, you know, I'm very crazy about music, by the way. It's a very big part of my life, you know, both contemporary music and classical music. Uh, uh, you know, for example, I organize concerts as well, one of the things I So maybe I should ask, what are you listening hobby. to? What are you, what, what are you listening to? Well, I listen to, to I just organized a John Cage concert, which you can find on YouTube. Hmm? Hmm. You know, who, is, uh, who was also a great friend of mine, or not a great friend of mine, but I was very privileged to know. And, you know, when I was a young man, I was actually embraced by Stravinsky. Hmm? So these things, you know, stay with one. Hmm? And, uh, yeah, those are extraordinary time. stories. And, I, you know, if you go to something called, I was one of my heroes as a youth was a famous conductor called Georg Scholte, and then I got to know him in the last years of his life, and I became a great friend of his widow, and I, for 20 years I, I organized concerts in his studio house, and now I've been doing them online, so you can find three of them online under the rubric Schulte Studio Concerts, uh, one including a, a, a commission, a, the only time I've commissioned a, a, a song cycle, a, a music from a composer, which is, you know, it was a special thing for me to do, and then and I did a, con- a rather special concert, a Beethoven concert, and then I did this John Cage concert. You know, the Beethoven concert is a performance of uh, an arrangement of his opera Fidelio by a composer who was a contemporary of both uh, of Schoenberg and and Mahler, rather, I should say, Mahler and Schoenberg called Zemlinsky, hmm? and it's very extraordinary thing was actually got reviewed in a number of magazines and so on and so forth and it's online so people can you know your punters can go and tune into that too and you know music is i can't live without music i could almost live without art 
I could not live without so-called serious music from, I don't know, uh, I heard a beautiful concert last night where I am uh, staying uh, by uh, the French composer, by the, by the uh, anyway, I, I can, uh, I'm being stupid now, sorry. Can I just... Uh, That's a favorite ah. for it, yeah. And they can yeah. This, yeah. Anyway, very very early pre monte over the world, world of Palestrina, pre Palestrina. Hmm? Hmm? It'll come back to me in a minute. Sorry, sometimes one's brain does go, even on short term memory goes huh? awry from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much. Then you know, I mean, if you remember, you could say it now, and I can edit it in. Otherwise, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. You can. Thank, thanks. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. I'll tell you in one second. Wait a okay. minute. Mm, bye. Uh, That's fine. Uh, uh, why is this? Yeah, by Josquin de You know, Josquin. What was the name? Josquin. J O S K K U Q U I N de He was the most famous composer, one of the most famous composers in the world at the beginning of the 16th century. Hmm. Hmm. And, and and that and that's what you saw. What was that yesterday? That's what I really heard last night in a beautiful concert here with these wonderful musicians called the Talis Scholars, huh? and they sang so beautifully. And you know, but I love Schubert and I love Schoenberg and I love you know many contemporary composers. And I'm very proud that I have many musician friends too, including distinguished musicians like George Benjamin or Tom Addis and so on and so forth. Hmm? Well, Norman, I want to thank you so much for your for your work, your writing. I'm so glad we talked about music at the end because there's links here for people to listen as well. So thank you so much, Norman, for your yeah. time and so your, tell and your work. So tell them to listen to Josquin but also to listen to George Benjamin. And, you know, there's so much music, by the way, in this pandemic time. You know, there's so much serious music you can hear online, you know. I've been to Salzburg. I've been, you know, online. You know, you can visit Salzburg. You can visit Bayreuth. It's just fantastic, you know. I love Wagner and so on and so forth. But when you say, what am I reading? At the moment, I'm really thinking a lot about, you know, this this disaster in Afghanistan, you know, because these things do concern me as well. And I have this friend of mine from Afghanistan, and he tells me it's basically all about incredible corruption there. Mm. Yes, that's you know that, things, yeah. that I think the West is very, com- you know, certain aspects of the West is also very complicit in as well. Mm. You know, absolutely. So it's not, you know, that, uh, and that's what, mm. you know, that's why the so-called independent army didn't have a chance. You know, right? Because they weren't fed. Right. They weren't fed. They, you don't, if you don't pay your soldiers, I mean, that's. A lesson as old as faculty, you know, goes back to ancient Greek history. You know what I mean? If you don't pay your soldiers, right. they won't fight. Hmm? And if course. you don't feed them, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you know what I mean? Two such arms, the mem shows, as the French like to say. Hmm? Yeah. Yes, there's lots, uh, lots to work on there. There's lots to read there, that's for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you, Norman. I want to thank you for your time today and your work. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure to talk to you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.